All right, Jonathan, welcome back to another one. Rory, how are you? I'm all good. All right, thanks. Yeah, good, good. Keeping well. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, I mean, this time in markets, obviously this isn't our usual market podcast. We usually try to keep this one somewhat educational, but I think we're going to kind of mix in a bit of both, sort of talk about, you know, world markets in the minute, maybe why we're not in a recession. You know, because I don't know about you, but you're often hear people saying, is this, is it going to be like 2008? Is this going to be a whole crisis again? Where's the big recession? Yeah, you know, I you mean, hear, you see a lot of these headlines, you hear a lot of things, but everything looks positive. Absolutely, I mean, look, all year we've we've seen all the economists come out and say that we are heading towards a world world recession, and yet here we are, and you know, we obviously the the economy is more resolute than than we thought. I mean, I want to pick your brains more than anything today. Yeah. Because you know, you're you're a macros guy and you know that's that's what you do best, Rory. So mm-hmm. I'm actually quite interested to dig into your brain a bit and find out why you think you know we haven't gone down that road. And it's a good week to talk about it because we've just seen obviously interest rates and so on. We've seen FOMC and you know, and 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 it's kind of a good time to talk about it because it is educational on, on that sense. And something you put in the app actually during the week as well is it was quite interested me and we'll, we'll go over that now later on in in the um in the podcast but yeah i mean it's interesting I mean, how how have we not i mean obviously we understand there's a pretty strong labor market yeah. there seems to be more job openings than there are actually people to fill these openings all, mm. all these things are obviously you know propping the market up but is it propped up on matchsticks is there solid foundation you know Maybe you give us an insight into that. Yeah, I think I think you know, propped up on matchsticks is probably a good analogy of really, you know, what what could happen. One small spark really could throw everything up in fire, and the matchsticks could burn and yeah. crumble very quick. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of economists, you know, like to do is try and compare back to old times and and things like that. And usually, you see recessions usually have, uh, you know, like a pinpoint moment of 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 what actually caused it you know if we go back to 2007 2008 you know, the the main crisis there we're seeing we're seeing inflation starting to tick up we're seeing interest rates starting to tick up you know and and then really we started to see the, the unaffordability of housing as well as when we looked at banks you know, obviously they were just too highly leveraged so there was things there that could have easily been picked out and that was you know one of the main causes and obviously you know the collapse of the sort of financial system was the main thing that you know, caused that recession and then obviously lost a lot of confidence in, you know, consumers and, and that obviously is going to be a, a huge con- contributor to, you know, negative GDP. But I think, you know, if we go back to 2001 as well, we had dot-com bubble, you know, things like that. So w- what was going to cause it in, you know, 2023 or 2024 was the fear of higher interest rates and, you know, people not being able to meet, you know, debt obligations, whether it was in loans or mortgages, things like that, being able to, you know, having to save most of the money to try and do that and then discretionary spending would also stop. But the thing we haven't seen, you know, that would stop discretionary spending is really employment, you know, and that's one of the things you touched on. We sure. looked at, you know, we looked at it. We're seeing what U.S. unemployment was it three point seven percent or something at the minute. Yeah. You're still under four percent, which is you know historically low levels. It, yeah. You know, well and truly below the levels that's in quote quotation marks needed for a recession. You know, there's no such level needed for a recession, but usually it has to be at, at least above around that four point five percent before you see a recession sort of kicking in. Obviously, it doesn't have to be, but usually it is around there. And the so, UK UK market's pretty strong as well, and that's really what's propping that up big time, isn't it? Really? Yeah, UK market's strong as well, and you know one of the reasons why the market's so strong as well is because of the the unaffordability of everything. You know, you know so many people out there now, and I know people who are you know quite close to me who, 
um, worked part-time jobs while at university. And now that they're in full-time employment, they're actually still keeping those part-time jobs on. You know, it might only be like a shift a week in a restaurant or a cafe, and it might only be for four or five hours. But that extra 40, 50, 60 quid in people's pockets is really starting now to, to make sense and worth their while doing. So people are sure. really you know, people are really exchanging a lot more time for money now. Whereas and we're still spending, right? Nothing. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Like that that's the biggest thing. We're still spending. And 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 for people who maybe don't know that much about reasons behind interest rates hikes or, or whatever the case may be and just maybe help them understand the easing part of that and how that's meant to deter inflation and so on maybe just in a, a kind of a short form yeah i mean obviously we we see prices increase all the time you know it's, you don't have to be an expert to know that prices are always increasing you'll hear your parents or your grandparents saying that it used to be three shillings back in their days it used to be yeah. one pound and it's now a hundred pound you know people always say well, why do prices go up and the main reason is because it's for growth purposes and also wages always tend to grow up you, you know, you always compare apples with apples, but at the same time, when you look at wages in 1995, you, they certainly weren't the same as they were today. So things always go up in price, and that's simply how it is. But, you know, economists over the years have basically come to the conclusion that you need about a 2% inflation every year to have a sustained period of growth. So for growth to be um, optimal, and you also then for, the, for employment as well to follow, and also for uh, wages and just everything else. So 2% inflation every year basically allows the economy to run as perfect as it can. It's not yeah. going to be perfect, but it's as perfect as we can find it. Anything under 1%, 2%, um, economy doesn't function great. And anything over 2%, typically prices rise at a much quicker pace than what wages, et cetera, can keep up with. And that's obviously then quite a bad thing because if if inflation's going too quick and prices are going up, people are not going to be able to afford it. And then that's when the spending stops. So one way to stop people from continuing to spend and, and uh, prices to go up is just by popping up interest rates. You know, every business borrows money. Every large firm Earning borrows money. Yeah. Everybody earned, borrows money, whether it's for a house, a car. Mm. And if you were getting that money for free, everybody would go out and spend it tomorrow. Everybody would apply for loans because what's the consequence? £10,000 divided by X amount of months with no interest. You may as well. It's great. But if you had an interest on top of that, that interest starts going to 5, 10, 15%. You'll maybe then start to think twice about it. You'll not make the purchase. And then that lowers consumption and then overall lowers prices and brings everything back into a balance. That's a really good explanation on that. I think for for people who don't know exactly how or why that works, you know, the macro side of things. So pretty much just a very basic definition of interest rates go up pretty much to stop people from spending too much. And And that hasn't happened, right? And that, that really hasn't happened. And and I, I want to kind of take this back before now and go back as, you know, pre-COVID type thing yeah. in a minute now. But, you know, I think personally, just while it's on the top of my head, I mean, the biggest reason for the spending and you, you spoke about um, apples for apples and, you know, yeah. shillings back in our, you know, parents' days or grandparents' days and how inflation has increased and wages and so on. But it hasn't been at the same rate and rate wages haven't gone up on the same rate as, that inflation has gone up. And that's the biggest problem. And, and I think one of the main reasons behind that and the biggest driver behind that is now that we have generally most households have two incomes, yeah. you know, whereas before, obviously it was a one income um, obviously, which is, which is great. We're getting much more women into the workforce and, you know, and um, becoming much, much more independent in that way. But it, what, what that's done is it's, it's offset the balance of previous inflation, you know, that kind of way. And yeah. and and that's what's accelerated in inflation in that way that that's from, from my view could be wrong, but that's my view. Yeah, it, it is. You know, I mean, you, you always hear people saying that 
back in, I don't know, was it 1980 or something like that, that house prices were like three times an annual salary or something yep. like that, but now they're six times an annual salary. That, that's, that's the but, best example but, you can get. But, but if you put it in context of a household, let's use households, back in 1980, um, a house price was three times a household salary, whereas now it's still three times a household salary because if you put the two combined wages together, and and that was exactly. just the, and that yeah. was just you, you know this isn't disrespectful to women but that was the consequence of women coming into the workplace was yeah. you were going to have a lot more spending you were going to have a lot more consumption and that was just simply you know the matter of, of what it was and you know going back to your point as well about our wages having kept up with inflation fortunately that's always going to be the case and you know it's when infl- it's when spend or sorry it's when wages actually catch up with inflation or overtake inflation that's when you actually come to a very dangerous place so you'll hear a lot of people saying that you know the nhs should be getting more money and they're getting bonuses and the reason why doctors and things like that aren't getting paid more this all this all feeds into it because if you have to start paying them more then the train drivers want more and the council workers will want more and then it feeds down into the unions and private sectors and, and then next thing everybody's going on strike and demanding more money and sure. and you just you just can't do the handouts, you know. And funny enough, it, you know, a lot of people might disagree with this, but it, it's just a matter of the, the truth is that wage prices or wages have actually been increasing quite a lot lately. And that's one of the issues. You know, we've seen bonuses in the NHS up over six to ten percent, which is you know, as much as inflation is, if not more. So when you see things like that fading in, it it do, it doesn't help. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, Biggest problem is we've had just a major increase in inflation in such a short period of time, and it's yeah. almost like a shock effect for people, right? Yeah. And as we all know, you know, the problem with inflation and it is everybody jumps on it. You know, mm-hmm. retailers, you know, supply chains, every, everyone jumps on it. It doesn't matter if it affects them or not, or, you know, they're just going to take advantage of everybody's putting their prices up, we're going to yeah. put our prices up. So that runs through everything from your 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 household shops to your you know your phone bills to your electricity everything you know will just jump everyone jumps in the bandwagon and all of a sudden you know we're hit with a huge amount of 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 outgoings and that's i think that's where everybody's in almost like a bit of shell shock uh, at the moment is on the basis that mm-hmm. a lot has happened very quickly we you know there's been so much uncertainty in the markets we've just gone through and i want to go back again like i say uh, we've just gone through you know, a pandemic, you know, nothing that we've ever seen before. And there's, there's been so many, so much things going on in the world that it's hard to keep up with information anymore or where we stand or that imbalance, that balance has gone. There is an imbalance now, I believe. And it's hard to get your head around, you know, these main, you know, governments and so on and the direction that they're taking this down you mm-hmm. know are they making the right moves you know that's the biggest thing what is the next step from here what we'll do is well maybe you we, you can give your view on what yeah. you think you know going into the future but again like going back to the start of the podcast we spoke about is it built on matchsticks and how have we spent so much money how have we accumulated so much debt within uh covid and going through covid knowing that our economy wasn't on the best footing before yeah this happened how we how we just managed to fly through this i mean to answer the first question you know how, how did you manage to rack up so much debt you know there can be a political answer for it there can be an economic answer for it and and really i think it lies somewhere in the middle of that you know a lot of people will say that a lot of um politicians wanted to pay themselves you know if you you look at 
Um, things like the US, we've seen the huge pharmaceutical companies benefiting greatly from it. The UK, we've seen you know members of the Tory party were, were also benefiting quite heavily from, um, was it construction contracts and things like that, like through, was it like testing clinics or whatever it was. And we started seeing these different things these different people benefiting and because governments were spending the money people outside of the government were then able to benefit and usually the people benefiting were actually companies owned by the politicians themselves so it was nearly politicians spending money that didn't exist to put it put back in their own pocket and that's kind of a political answer but the economic answer for it was is that we needed it at that at that time you know families needed the support the furlough schemes you've seen going on things like that uh, businesses everybody needed, needed that health care right we needed a better health care we needed yeah. better infrastructures in other places but there wasn't money there was no pot to dip into yeah that kind of way but yeah exactly there was that long, there was that know. sort of emergency health care that people said you know we needed and you know whether you like it or not every country has that sort of duty to look after their citizens and you know provide that health care and that's kind of something that's just instilled in the nature especially in the western world so if we decided that there was this, this virus was going to be here and you know, I think this is a completely off topic for the podcast, but whether you think COVID was a scam or whether it was a thing or not, one thing, but we'll leave it to the side. It was in the media anyway that it was around. So in the eyes of the media, in the eyes of the news, in the eyes of the government, they had to do something to protect citizens from it. And that was spending money to develop healthcare, you know, for that. And and that's just really as simple as what it was. Where the money went again, it's going to be a political answer. You know, where it really went, or sorry, where it really went is a political answer. Where it actually went is an economical answer, and it, it just lies somewhere in the middle. You know, and, and what happens with all, all that debt accumulation? And you know, are we are we just dragging out years and years for like our, our future generations are just going to have to cope and deal with so, you know the accumulation of debt? Yeah, so debt, that's a very complicated thing. I mean. You know, when you hear people saying that the banks are printing more money, it's it's not an actual thing. What they actually do is just increase the reserves at, at a bank. So it's not as if more money is created. So it's not as if you might have a million banknotes tomorrow and then you might have a million and two, 200,000 the next day. It's just that the actual bank reserves are, are expanded. But um, but that's an issue in itself. Yeah, that's a whole issue in itself yeah. and, you yeah. know, on, how, on, how that, on how policy like that works. But basically what the governments do is they write off bonds and you'll hear people talking about, you know, 10 year treasuries and you'll hear people talking about five year treasuries or two months, two months bonds. And basically these are just debt obligations that the government set out and say, well, you can buy a bond from us. If you lend us money, we'll pay you a fixed certain amount over the last, over the next 10 years. And you know, one of the most famous ones is the US 10 year. So I just put something in the app there just before we started how the US 10 year yield is currently as it is at 4.4% or something at the minute. We're currently at and basically what that means is you know the US government saying well if you buy our 10-year bond so if you lend us money for 10 years we'll pay you a 4.4 percent um return on that every single year yeah and, and that's what they do and they, they can just hand as many of these out as they want because what do they get in return well they get money from you in return and how that all works on the asset and uh, liability side of the balance sheet is, is definitely going to be a way off this the topic of what we need to cover but <laughs> But basically, what they can do from that. I want to know is, more now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Just> not today. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll we'll make a video on it. But it, yeah. it is quite interesting how it works. But it can spiral. Trust me, it can spiral. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And basically, what they do when they hand out this debt is they just turn around and say, "Well, 
Jonathan, we owe you 4.4% every year for the next 10 years. Thanks for having, thanks for giving us the money. And they do this to all these different people. And you'll hear people saying that the US, you know, debt's now at 33 trillion. So that means that's the total amount of obligation that they have to pay back. And then you'll hear them saying of an interest rate. So you'll hear them saying that, well, they, they have to pay back something like $2 trillion or $3 trillion every single year. They have to constantly pay back. And whenever interest rates go up, the cost of, um, you know the the cost of actually um, servicing that debt then also starts to increase too as new debt then gets more expensive. So it's, it's quite complicated to put it all together. Well, it's not quite complicated, but putting it all together really just means that the governments can have as much debt as they want, and it's up to the credibility of the government, the credibility of the ratings companies who actually rate them on how far they can expand to them. And, you know, we've heard there, was it back in November, was it, uh, or March? Was it back in March? We've seen, we, we seen the risks of you know, potential of the, of the US defaulting. Obviously, they didn't default. They came to the agreement, which was the 70th or 79th time. So things like that are always going to happen. But to cut things short, debt's not an issue, really, for, for most developed nations. And they can just continue to keep keep borrowing like that. The problem is, how high can it go? That's... That's one of the main uh, causes for it. Sure. And and going back to what I said earlier, where do you see the future going from here? And how do you believe that we hold things up without them crashing down? Yeah, I spiraled so long there, I forgot the second part of the question. But I mean, if we, if we look at like um, China, for example, China was non-existent until, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the 80s or something, 80s, early 90s, you know, we, we started investing into the Chinese economy and this whole cheap labor, cheap Chinese materials was a thing. And, you know, that's when we started seeing kind of nearly the next industrial revolution was when we could outsource um, not just services, but then start to outsource components out to China, make them for a hell of cheap, import them back to the country and still still put a huge markup on them. Yeah. So that, that was one of the turning points was that we were using countries like China. China benefited hugely from that. And, you know, really since that, the Western world stopped you know, because all the cars that, you, you know, if we just use America, for example, every car that was bought in America in the 50s was nearly made in America. Every gun that was bought in America was nearly made in America and so on and so forth. Everything that was made, bought in America was made in America. Whereas if you look at it now, it's not so much the case. And that really, you know, that really hurts um, trade deals and it really hurts domestic um, purchases. Mm-hmm. So could we then start to see other countries really taking over? And that's something you always have to ask yourself because China is one of the big ones who we always talk about saying that, you know, China, the second largest economy in the world, are they going to overtake the US? It's not looking likely, in my opinion, going in the long term. I think the US could still be there. But then again, this all comes down to politics. You know, if we if we started to see another um another term of of um a democrat office it could quite it could hamp, dampen um trade trade relations across the world it could dampen the economy you, you know it may just be that the us could slip behind a bit enough for china to get ahead in the future but i do think that world order changes every couple of hundred years i mean the us has had its its spot at the top for quite a long time now it's I believe starting to go off on a tangent, just a bit like myself, really in these conversations, but it goes off on a tangent, I think, in terms of what's really important. If we look at countries like China, India, even Russia, they focus on trade and trade only. You know, the most important thing is to have a strong economy. And that's really it. Whereas the US and parts of the Western world now in Europe are now starting to focus more on sustainability. So they're starting to spend more money on sustainability instead of reinvesting it back into the future. They're they're starting to focus more on 
other sides of politics, things that don't matter. And that's really where the attention is getting drawn. I just think that if we're not careful, we, we probably could be overtaken very soon. Well, we see the developing countries doing that already. I mean, we're already seeing that. We're already seeing them come together with, with bricks and so on. I mean, yeah. that seems to me, you know, where I suppose is the biggest threat to the US. I think, you know, we, with the amount of money that comes from, you know, some of these, 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 these countries, I mean, the edu- a lot of these countries and developing countries, they've, they've spent a lot of money in education, yeah. you know, and they've got a really educated populace and they're really pushing their money into technologies and, and other areas. And, and now this new BRICS formation is as well. It's, you know, I think that's going to have real ripple effects and nothing immediate, but that, like these guys are planning and, you know, to, to, to become the next big nations and, you know, yeah, uh, they, they are. And I mean, this always comes back to my point. And again, it's just one of my personal, you know, sort of theories. It's not something that's ever been drawn out. But why do I think that the Western world is the only part? You, you can look at the converse of this and, and argue back at me. But why do I think the Western world is trying to step away from oil? Simply because they don't, except for America, they don't control any major oil reserves. If you look at Saudi, Russia, China, huge oil reserves, and they want to continue using them and they want to continue marketing that into the next 100 and 200 years that people need to use oil, that people need to use this. So the Western world to fight against those countries are basically trying to get everybody in the West to say, don't use oil. You don't want to use sustainable energy so that we don't then have to start buying oil from these people. Now, that's just a theory that I've come up with myself. And I think it's it's one of many, you know, but a lot of the debt that these foreign countries like I agree with global warming now. <laughs> I, I, you know something I don't, and I speak openly about it. I really, I really don't know. I, I, I believe that it's getting That's warmer. This podcast, <laughs> it was, I, I, I believe it's getting warmer because I, I trust a thermometer. But you, you know, all we have to do is look back in in history and see that you know climate. It's more of a climate change. Things kind of take their toll. So you see cold periods, you see warm periods, and things like this just happen. I think you I'm know, you're a red hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, ju- I just think it's it's just been too pushy. You know, they said that back in the 1970s or 1980s or something, that in the next 10 years, the two polar caps would melt. And in fact, they haven't changed. You know, and you see a lot of things that just aren't backed by solid data. It's it's something I can't take serious enough twofold. Number one, there isn't enough data for it, in my opinion. And number two, I'll be dead before any meaningful results are actually ever seen. I definitely think we're seeing the effects of the damage that, you know, that we're doing. There's no doubt about that. I don't know. And look, I don't like to debate on anything that I don't have enough information about. And that's simply where. Well, yeah, that's true too. You know, I mean, I'm not an expert in the field and I don't ever want to become an expert in the field. And I just think that I I just kind of leave it. You know, I know that we see, you know, people talk about ski resorts, that the seasons are getting shorter and things like that. But, you know, last year, I remember seeing the season starting at the end of November because the snow was there early and I'm like, well, where's the global warming there? You know, and they're like, oh, this is out of character. I was like, no, it's it's not really out of character. This is winter time. This is normal. So I, I don't think anybody has a good enough argument for it, to be quite honest. But I just think one of the main reasons is that the West are trying to get everybody to step away from oil into more renewable sources so that they don't have to depend on the East. And that's just really that's the potentially problem. one reason. There's no it, doubt about it. It's know? potentially one. Is it right or wrong? Who knows? We'll probably not be wrong long enough to probably ever know so tell me right for our listeners you know who are trading or have interest in the markets you know what do what do you expect i mean what's what do you expect going from here obviously 
look, we've seen recent interest rate hikes. We've seen, you know, we've we've now seen the UK come out, you know, mm-hmm. and not, you know, like, so what's that going to do? I mean, what do you think, let's say short term for our listeners? I think, you- I think in the short term, you know, I'm still seeing, I'm definitely start, still seeing a stronger dollar, weaker you know, sort of risk on mood in terms of weaker US equities, weaker UK equities. And then I think into the longer term, I don't think I see any change. I think just the classic buy the dip scenario, ride it out for the next 10, 15 years until we see the next, you know, major development come. But definitely in the short term, I think until we see a few more inflation prints, we can't comment too much on the dollar, but I still think a bit of dollar strength going in here. And you don't think we'll hit recession? I mean, there's a, what is it, a 60% chance of recession uh, between this year and next year. I do think we could see one, but we're obviously not going to see a recession this year. I mean, that's almost impossible now. Yeah. yeah. Too late. Will we see one next year? Well, we, we could well do see one. The problem is we are starting to see inflation coming down a bit. We're starting to see um, unemployment rates level off that are under 4%. So we could come into some sort of balance. But again, that doesn't mean that we couldn't see any unexpected crash. You so know, this, it's fair to say that the governments that be are actually done a pretty good job riding this on. I, I'm not going to say they've done a perfect job, but I think they've done a good enough job, to, to be honest. Have I we think... learned from our mistakes at this stage? I mean, how many times can you make the same mistakes over and over again before you kind of realise that, you know, <laughs> there is a way out of this and there is a way to avoid avoid this, you know? I mean, I think that the problem is with mistakes is that every every time's different. You, you know, person yeah, every person, every every person is different. Every time is different. You know, you always hear the, the old scenario in the street. Oh, but this time it's different. It 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 really isn't different. It's always the same context. It might just be a different opinion or something. And I think the Fed have got so much wrong. They've nearly got it right. And and that's just my core belief in it. They've got so much wrong. It's nearly right. Right. So you yeah. think they've done well for being so wrong? <laughs> I, I think I think they've done really well for being so wrong. I mean. When inflation's at nearly double figures in the US and it was double figures in the UK and Ireland, I mean, you know, how do you expect inflation to get back down without a huge increase in monetary policy? Okay, we've done a huge increase in monetary policy. So how did you expect the labour market to stay that strong through that? How did you expect the affordability to keep up? How people have continued through this is is beyond me. You know, it, that's, it, that's, that's the it, big question. And- it really is beyond me. And a lot of people say that, you know, monetary policy tip well, the economy typically lags about a year behind monetary policy. So those increases maybe won't be seen for another, you know, six to you know, six to twelve months away. So could we be seeing maybe over next summer the recession starting to hit? That could be a likely cause. But again, so many things are unknown in the markets. You know, we can sit and speculate about many things. We can say a further invasion of, you know, Russia further east or the start of World War Three. All these different things, you know, another housing crisis. All, all these different things can, you know, cause a cause a recession, you know. But and while demand stays high, yeah, I mean, d- demand was high. Is you know, coming out of COVID, demand was high, supply was low, and that mm-hmm. was really just the big driver of inflation. Really, there was pretty much nothing else. You know yourself, trying to get your hand on anything was next to impossible. You went to a car showroom that had. You know, that 18 two-year waiting lists were, as a few weeks before that, they were just taking names and you had a car in two weeks. Yeah. You know, it was it was crazy. Even in the watch world as well, you couldn't get a watch anymore. Watch prices went through the roof. Everything, everything went through the roof. And that was just all the extra money, the stimulus that, you know, the government was paying out to people. Yeah. You yeah, know? I agree. Well, I think we've, we've, we've covered that pretty well now, to be honest. And we went down a few rabbit holes, but we came back out in the end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're you're always going to go down rabbit holes talking about these sort of things, and 
it's things that I would always encourage people to have conversations with friends about or even write their thoughts on a bit of paper because you need to speak about these things to to think about what's actually going to happen. You, you know, I know one day, you know, we, we had a conversation one day about, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine and what's really going on. And the thing is, there's always going to be three sides to the story. There's going to be her side, his side and the truth. And that's and that's no different when it comes, you know, to any sort of political factor in the world. There's always going to be three sides. And sure. unfortunately, that means you've only a 33 percent chance of guessing right. But the problem is, is you're always going to be fed the narrative that people want you to know. And it's going to be up to you to, to source that out in life to see whether or not, you know, the narrative that you're being fed is actually the right one or whether or not it's actually um, the, the wrong one. You might have you, to do a conspiracy. I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we you, you spoke about flat world, flat worlders and all this kind of stuff. And I think uh, we could definitely potentially bring that in. Yeah. Was... I mean, you know, you ask a lot of people what happened really in Ukraine and you, you hear two sides of the argument always. You know, I've I've definitely heard the two sides of it. You know, I've heard people who are native Russians who are in support of Russia saying it. I've heard people from Ukraine supporting Russia. I've heard people in Ukraine, you know, supporting the West and supporting Ukraine. I've, I've heard all the sides of it. What's true, we'll never know. Problem, right? You know, and we're, we're doesn't matter what's going on in the world or, or what it is, we're always going to be hidden from the actual truth behind it because the problem is the truth is if the truth gets out and people really, you know, the, the consequences have to be paid and that's when the real problems happen. Yeah. You know, if, if the, the truth isn't there and there's two sides of an argument, you know, things get forgotten about and brushed to the side. Yeah. You know, there's and, no accountability. Yeah. And, you know, political factors have a lot to do with it as well. You know, I mean, when Trump was in office for those four years, there wasn't any sign of a war. There was absolutely nothing. Biden comes in, we see the war in Ukraine, we see the the tensions, the tensions in China and Taiwan popping up, tensions in the Middle East again, yeah. you know, and even some civil tensions as well starting to pop up. And you know, it's always been that sort of well-known fact that you know the Democrats love a good war, and that, and that's always just been you know the reality. It's really of it. kind of counterintuitive when you think about Republicans and the Democrats, right? It, it, it doesn't really make sense, but yeah, the, 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 prob- the problem with U.S. politics is is this. You know, I, I the reason I love Irish politics is because I've never seen an Irish politician changing party in my life. I've never heard of Martin McGuinness going to the DUP or or Michelle O'Neill from Sinn Féin going to the DUP or vice versa. I've never, ever heard of it because people over here are very, very strong to their foundations and very, very strong to their beliefs. You know, don't. My opinion to myself when it comes to the Irish politics, to be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, but you, you people, when what I'm about to say next is you know really shows the light on it. Is that you know Donald Trump used to be a Democrat. We used to see the Clintons used to sort of swing to the Republican side a bit. Everybody just switches over there to simply get a vote, to simply get in. You know, and it, for me, running a country is no different to running a business. And I, you know, and if you're going to run a good business or, or or unsuccessful business, it's the same. It's the same thing. And if you have somebody leading your country who who understands more than just the decisions that they're making, they understand the consequences, the logistics, yeah, yeah. the communications, the everything else that comes with it. And you know, and that's one thing that you can't say too much about uh, Trump. You know, at the end of the day. He run a tight business yeah. with in terms of the economy, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I, I always compare it to, to countries like Singapore, you know, places like the UAE as well. You know, whenever you look at how those countries are run, they're not run on a political basis. They're run simply on a business basis. You know, the UAE don't care what you think of of gun laws. They don't care what you think of of other political 
sort of parties and headlines. They, they don't care about that. Business is business, and that's the way the country's run. It's that's it. Whereas when you come to other countries in the West, like the US, for example, the country's run on a political system. You know, people are voted in because of their belief in abortion. People are voted in because of their belief in gun laws and and on and, and all these different things. And that's how people are voted in. And then when they're in office, in order to stay there, they have to keep they have to keep reaffirming people in this through their actions. And it then comes to forgetting about how a business is run and rather than trying to please the people. So my, my problem is like, how can a politician come from college or from school to college to, to, to you know, into a position of power, but yet have, let's say they get put into Minister of Health or Finance or whatever it is, but they have no background. And like, surely you get the, you get retired doctor, um, you know, top doctor in the fields to come in and take that position over because they're qualified to take that position over. You know, like, how can you make a qualified decision on anything unless you, you know, inside out? Exactly. And you see it all across the world. You know, I think there's there's always a funny one going around. And I actually think it's Northern Ireland, the, the health ministers, you know, severely obese. And, you know, would you, would you ever take, if you went to the gym and, you know, your instructor was obese, would you take actual information from them? Of, of course you wouldn't. And you they know, just if, they don't understand the consequences of their decisions. They don't yeah. understand that the, the 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 domino effect of their decisions that they're they're making. You know. Yeah, they don't. You know, and 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 these things sort of you know roll on and roll through. If you know, would you go to your English teacher, or your history teacher, to learn about trading? Of course you wouldn't. You know, what are they going to know? Yeah. You know, and vice versa. You don't come to me to talk about. Don't come to me to talk about politics, and don't come to me to talk about history because I'll tell you nothing. <laughs> you, you know, if you want to talk about macro macro events, fine. I could give a good conversation <laughs> on it. <laughs> you know, because that's what I enjoy. But you could do one of these, yeah. Go to sleep books on uh, macroeconomics. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope I'm not that boring. <laughs> no, we'll, not we'll hear, how deep you can go. We'll we'll, we'll definitely do one on um, definitely about uh, monetary policy, fiscal policy, looking at QE, maybe even the creation of money. I think and, it's really interesting. There's lots of opportunity there as well. Yeah. And I think if we'd done a podcast now, I think that would be a really good good night's sleep podcast. I think <laughs> after the first 30 minutes, everybody would be out. <laughs> it would be great. You know. On that note, Rory, I think we'll wrap it up. Look, thanks so much for taking taking your time out today to do this. And uh, yeah. I'll see you in the app. Yeah, no problem. See you in the next one. Cheers. Thanks, everybody. Bye.